Hey, baby. Hey. Naomi and Andy here with yep. a quick cue slash request. Yes. So, okay, Acast is doing these audience surveys, okay? We put the link in the show notes. The link is going to be in the link tree on our on Instagram and everything like that. Here's the thing, Naomi. Yeah. You know, we're already pretty choosy about the ads right. that we allow on the show. No weapons manufacturers. Raytheon, get out of here. Yeah. Screw off, Raytheon. But we want to make sure that the ads are kind of tailored to y'all. Right. Okay? Right? Say you want to hear ads for a different world DVD box sets. We need to know that. We, we need can to go out that. to them. We can get the word <laughs> out. But we only can get the word out if you give us the word. So you got to fill out the survey. It is quick, quick, quick. And it just lets us know if the ads you're hearing are the right ads for you. Yeah. So get on over to the show notes where that link is or the Couples Therapy link tree and fill out that quick survey so we can pass the word on to ACAST. All right. Roll it. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Open your hearts and loosen your butts. It's time for couples therapy. <laughs> yeah. This podcast is Andy and Naomi's, where they can both laugh and hang with all their homies, talking excellent vacationing with brunches and cuddling, to messy situations, shits and conscious and coupling, from Netflix hookups to single them with some Hulu, text sex, regrets, or feeling on your new jubu. They gon' talk about it, ah, yeah, you are invited, ah, needing therapy, I guarantee, baby, we got it. It's Gentle listeners, and welcome to Couples Therapy. My name is Andy. And I'm Naomi. We are a real-life couple. A real-life couple of comedians. And on Couples Therapy, we answer a couple different questions from a couple different listeners. We are recording. This is a sleepy day in the Beck Paragon household. We are all just napping. It's been quite a week <laughs> out in the heat, well, picketing well, well. for our rights. Honey, we're striking for two. <laughs> we're officially striking for two. I think last week we were like, we don't know yet. Well, we know. It's official, okay? The nanny came through. Can you believe that <laughs> that the studios are so greedy that they radicalized Fran Drescher? Fran I Drescher, anti-vax queen, who, as far as we know, up until two days ago. Up until the negotiation. Was not interested in left politics or fighting for our rights or anything like that. 
now a firebrand. I said, honey, where were you when Fran Drescher was radicalized? Okay. <laughs> you got to know where you were the day Fran Drescher became normal Ray. That's what, you, that's what we all need to clock into. This is a moment in history when Fran Drescher was radicalized. Did you see she posted on her Instagram blueprints for how to build a guillotine? <laughs> She really came through, and to me, that's a testament to how bad the negotiations had to have been. I mean, I said this on I said this on Instagram, but I was like, you know, I really feel like, you know, Fran is somebody who has been out. She has been wealthy for a long time. She has been comfortable for a long time. And, you know, again, she got, because again, this was a transition because she got flack that first week of the writer's strike when she was on the picket lines of support. She did, however, say to news outlets, you know, our issues aren't the same as the writer's issues. And she immediately got lambasted mm. by guild writers guild members and SAG members who were just like, no, girl, what are you doing? So, again, that was like the first week of May. And here we are. That's where I knew Ginger was a real one because she wrote a whole thread that's like, this is fucked up. Yep. Yep. We only have the best in the pod. We only, Are we surprised? We only have the best So that in the was pod. like first week of May. And here Fran is in beginning of July. Uh-huh. Talk about Versailles, moving <laughs> chairs on the Titanic. <laughs> this is craziness. I said, okay. You know, because she went in there being like, hey, guys, it's me, your rich friend. And they said, you ain't rich like us. Preaching from. You ain't got mega yacht. <laughs> we ain't here for you, Fran. Marx's Capital Volume 2, just reading passages to <laughs> she, David Zaslav. I'm telling you, she she was in there. She got in them rooms and said, oh, no. Yeah. You will not treat me this way. And she realized that they treat me this way. Yeah. Oh, it's bad for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm rich. <laughs> and I said, blessings to Fran. It was like literally, it was 11.52 a.m., on Thursday, and I get an email from SAG that's like, press conference at noon. Literally stop what I'm doing, which is laying in bed, and run to my computer. Uh -huh. I was laying down because I spent the whole night before refreshing, waiting to see if I was going to get information about whether we were on strike or not. But Fran waited for the press conference. She said, you know what? I got a speech. I got a speech. And boy, did she have it. And I mean. Put her in a lay miss. <laughs> oh, my God, yes. I am here for the moment. And so so it was basically Thursday was the announcement that starting midnight, basically Thursday night, really, in essence, that's giving us a day to get our ducks in a row to show up and strike, right? Because you can't say we have a strike now, but then nobody's out. You're not seeing it. So it really just let everybody know, Friday, let's go. And I got to tell you, can I, can I say? <laughs> yes, you got to talk about so Friday. I was picketing on Wednesday. We had podcast stuff to do Thursday, picketing again Friday. Wednesday, this is before the strike is called for a SAG, right? I'm out there in front of Netflix. There's maybe 20 to 30 people total. This was the day after, by the way, or maybe two days after where, you know, someone no, from the day after. it was the day after, the day after where someone from the studios was like, hey, we want to make everyone homeless. We want to make every writer homeless. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll go back to the negotiating table. And there were a lot of journalists out there. Joel, Joel Kambusa. This was right after the Emmy nominations too. And Fire Island got a couple nominations. Yeah. Joel was out there and they were interviewing him. And the mood was, I would say, placid. 30 people mm. wandering back and forth on Netflix. Joel out there, shirtless, with his earbuds in, mm, getting his steps in. Honey, that's a celebrity <laughs> sighting. Mm. We nodded to each other. I'm like, he has his earbuds in. He doesn't want to talk. Mm, a Sunday to Joel. It's just me, because, you know, because we are around each other 24-7. We do try to find some times to 
not be around each other. So I took Mabel on yes. my own. You picketed Wednesday solo. I picketed Monday solo. <laughs> <laughs> it was hey, it was great for the relationship, isn't it? That's what we do. Go out and then we both come home from solo pickets just hot, <laughs> tired, unwilling to do anything because I have not changed my wardrobe since or the way i dress my style really since i don't know time and ever exactly ever, right exactly even when i was in new york i was thinking i was like oh i would be on my way to do a show at ucb east and i'm transferring in the west fourth subway station and in yeah. the summer if you don't know it is humid as fuck yeah and just walking in there you could walk in there in a jock strap and just be dripping yeah. right yeah, so yeah, yeah. i'm going there i'm in a hoodie i'm in <laughs> jeans and same thing on the picket line hoodie yeah. jeans it's a thin hoodie at least that's y'all. yeah it's and insane. <laughs> it's insane it is giving heat stroke it literally really, it is giving me heat stroke. It is giving literally. heat stroke. but like you know it's still everyone was kind of was, was like uh, angry about what the studio people had said about wanting to take away yeah. our homes. Yeah, yeah. But still, you know, it was like, you know, it was so hot and there's so many places to pick it that, you know, there just aren't enough. Yeah, like not every location maybe is popping off all the time. Yeah. I think especially the first month, Netflix really was the place because everybody mad at Netflix because Netflix done somebody dirty at some point. But, you know, it's not always there unless there's a themed picket, you know, an event there. It can be a little sparse. Yeah. And then Friday, so the, the strike Friday, is honey. called, and then honey. Friday we go to pick it. It is a party. Honey, it is packed, packed. More so than the first week of the WGA strike. Oh, yeah. Because remember, now there are 160,000 sag after members, and what did you say, 70,000 live in the LA area? Yes, yeah, 70,000 <laughs> sag after members live in the LA area. There are 12,000 WGA members. So, Total. you know... It really turned up the mood. Yeah. It turned it up, and I think between Fran's speech and then the hotties coming out to the picket line, <laughs> all right, it was packed. It was active. Didn't you say at one point Andy was like, oh, God, now that we're out here with SAG, I better suck in my stomach. Yes. Like, it was like, oh, Lord, hot people are around, and you know, when it's, <laughs> but I'm like, but I also felt that it was a chaotic actor energy. You felt the chaos of actors. Yes. There were some improvisers we know, honey, who got on the bullhorn, and I said, you know what? You were made for this day. We saw- You were made for the day of working the bullhorn. <laughs> we saw Ginger. We saw we did Punham. Ginger. We saw Punham Patel, other friends of the Former show. Former guests. I know, I'm trying to think, but like, we saw some friends out there. It was funny because- Sean Adam, Gunn. Adam Conover, who's on the negotiating committee, was out there, and he's been out there every time, because I've seen him at Netflix every time, and I was just asking him, you know- I was like, how you doing? How you feeling? Whatever. And he was like, you know, this is the most I've ever liked LA. It's like the most sense of community I've ever had. And I said, and I really kind of felt that way too, because like you do go to the picket line and get a chance to see you are walking around and running into someone is very New York energy yeah. and being angry while doing it. <laughs> I mean, this, this is kind of, this is, this is it. So again, I don't enjoy picketing for half a second. I really hate sweating. I hate sweating in public. You will never see me on local news because when I'm out there, I look disgusting and I'm in a KN95. <laughs> they're not pulling me over for a soundbite. Okay. They're not, they're not doing it. Not at all. So, you know, I'm. This is not. Hey, let's get these two ogres in here and they're like ask them. Two sweaty masked people with a dog and a stroller. It's like, are you even in the guild? Or are you here for vibes? They don't know. They don't know if we're just here to get out and see people. So it's like, who are these two cosplaying as freaks? <laughs> so it is a you know picketing is not fun. I would much rather be working. I would much rather be not worried about my future, uh, both immediate and long term. However, because once this is settled, 
you and I will no longer worry about the future at all, right? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, but I think, of course not. But I'm saying, I'm like, I just have, so, you know, the more all the stories come out about all the atrociousness of this business, I mean, I will say, you know, someone who started, right, I kind of got in in 2013. Yeah, we both. Right, we right, both where it's like, I don't, I didn't even know the levels on which I was getting screwed over yeah. until I heard people talk openly about what they had had in the past, what they had lost, what they were, where I was like, I didn't even know I could have asked for that to lose it in the first place. Like, you know, there's so many things. So, um, like friends, I've worked on several TV shows that, and, but never got an episode. So up until Mythic Quest. Is that your first one? I got no, I had an episode. I had an episode on Mrs. Fletcher. However, the beauty of it is I wrote episode eight and the show ended at episode seven. So that was cool. <laughs> that was cool. Like literally during production, they were like, we are done. And I was like, cool, I written the next one. Like, what's the vibe? Um, and then great vibe news. Is dire. Great news. I co-wrote episode 12. So I had a co-write, but I have like seven shows that i had written on but i only got the episode so people talk about residuals where i was like i've never even really seen a residual residual check because nobody but then i realized i'm like oh not having an episode was its own doing dirty that people were doing that i didn't even realize like i didn't know like i just thought you walked into the room and you like just hoped you got an episode and the show and decided when you got the episode and it's like but then i know for other people that's something that's like in their contracts like yeah, you, you didn't even know to a, ask for i didn't it. even know to ask for that i always thought it was at the showrunner's discretion and if you only have everyone's talking about short orders 10 episodes but you got 12 or 13 writers that means somebody ain't getting something and but so there were shows you wrote on where yeah there were 10 episodes and like seven writers uh-huh uh-huh so you know there's so many things so i anyway so i think as i'm learning all this stuff it makes me just feel like oh god do i even want to go back to this when it's <laughs> over but what other skill set do your girl have <laughs> so you know it's anyway anyway so it's a lot so the point is this is not fun but there is a silver lining of social interaction um i like seeing personally being sweaty and disgusting because i don't actually want anyone to look at me uh-huh. when i look this gross but personally i enjoy the camaraderie because you know i'm in dsa but like the things I have in common with my friends in DSA are just socialism. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, like, personal like, interests. We don't have a lot of... And I, I'm, I like a lot of them, you know, but it's it's really much more about solidarity. Yes. It is nice to convert my friends, who I have a lot in common with, to my political beliefs. Right, 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 so right. So that we suddenly you're in solidarity and in talking about succession. Yes. And we can talk about X-Men. Right, exactly. <laughs> so it's all coming together. Yeah. So that is beautiful, and I do love it for you. Yeah. I mean, speaking of friendship, can we talk about after picketing yesterday? Yeah. <laughs> we got back. So our neighbors, you know, we live in a fourplex, and we are friendly with everyone. And we're friendly with there's another fourplex next door. And we we say hi to people, and, yeah. you know, we are, we're not curmudgeons. But, even though you... We sound but like you know I am. It's like, but no, I be smiling. But it's also like again, the thing is like the neighbors who I think we talk the most to are the ones who also have dogs. But mm. because Mabel's not a friendly dog, it's not like we're sitting there having long combos. It's more like a oh here she goes again, and like you know kind of smile, smile, but keep it pushing. We don't really get into it, but we all like I think know each other's faces, right? Like like we know faces. We say hi, pass each other. You know I'm out here brawling in these streets. They know, they know who I is. They know who I is. <laughs> here she goes again on a bone. That would be my Weird Al uh, dog parody. Okay. okay. On her bone. Hey, what bone. Is- the dog's chew bones. I don't know. Oh, the dog was like, <laughs> Mabel, yeah. 
<laughs> no, okay. I thought you meant me, and it was like, huh, there she goes again, no, swinging said that. titties. <laughs> but that's not very good. That's mm. not. It's like, why well, I'm not Weird Al. Why Weird Al is Weird Al. Mm. Anyway, anyway, so there's one neighbor. There's a neighbor. There's a couple. There, there's yes. like a young couple, and they have a dog. And yeah. that's why I feel like I know them. We always say hi, very friendly, but we've never had a conversation. So we're we get back from the picket. Naomi goes inside to put, you know, make sure Mabel gets some water and stuff because it was hot out, and. uh the neighbor's in uh, where the cars are and says hi. And I say hi. And they goes, how you doing? And I, because I'm so hot. I'm just like, uh, I'm dying because of the picket line. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I am. My uh, flesh has been seared off my bone. <laughs> You're seeing uh, Skeletor right now. And uh, we just, he laughs. We just start talking. And it uh, turns out we have a lot in common. And yeah. not only do we have a lot in common, but uh, he's friendly. <laughs> and and uh, we have uh, chemistry, and I'm like, I know. Oh, a new friend, and then he goes, Yeah, we're moving this weekend. <laughs> we're moving. I go, What? No, no. I know so many. I so so few people in this town. Do I enjoy? I know their company. It's hard for nerd boys to make friends. I mean, if that's what you're calling me, then okay. I say it with love and devotion. <laughs> I say it with love as somebody who has sat on the couch while you play Breath of the Wild. Okay, <laughs> Tears of the Kingdom. Tears of the kingdom. Tears in my kingdom. <laughs> I lift weights twice a week, Naomi. All right, all right, all right. Still gonna hold it, though. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, we start talking like he likes comic books and all this other stuff, and I'm just like, <laughs> exactly. You're like we could have been friends. He, you know. I'll say this: I didn't have to say anything. Respectful six feet distance. Yes, while standing outside. Respectful six-foot distance. And I said, wow, he could have been a friend. You could have gone to an outdoor meal. I didn't have to say anything. I know. Just naturally. Just naturally kept a distance. (sighs) Naturally kept a distance. I know. What could have been? I know. You know what? We're going to stay in touch. Okay, well, I hope so. But I know it was very sad. We're very upset about it. Okay, honestly, honestly, okay, we're just going off. We're going off. We're chatting too much. Look, now, before we get into the episode, we want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by IKEA. And Acast Creative. What? Now, in me and Andy's 13 years together, we've lived in four different apartments on two different coasts. So we know a lot about getting an apartment in order and not wanting to break the bank to make it feel like home. And now we're newlyweds. Can you believe? We've been even more focused on how to make our apartment feel cozy and make it a reflection of who we are as a couple. But also, as two people who just paid for their own wedding, and as writers on strike, we want to do that without putting our finances in jeopardy, y'all. And that's why we stay an Ikea household. Their prices are affordable, and I have Ikea items that have lasted me over a decade. Honestly, we rock with Ikea so much, we gave all of our wedding guests Ikea Thorgun throw blankets to take home. Yes, we did. That was our gift, because we're all about creating a comfy, cozy moment. I love our Ikea bookshelves, which we've had at least seven years, and hold all the books Andy brought from New York City to L.A. when we moved. Ikea is at the perfect intersection of affordable and aesthetically pleasing. Andy likes a clean line, I like soft and comfy, and we can always find something we agree on at Ikea. And we need to agree to make love work, y'all! So, whether you rent or own your own home, Ikea wants to help everyone furnish their space without putting their finances in jeopardy. By being an ally for those with tighter budgets, Ikea can help you furnish your home beautifully while you save for tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this episode brought to you in partnership with ACAST Creative and IKEA. Affordable design, endless possibilities. That was great, Naomi. Now, who is our guest on today's episode? Okay, this is huge. Our guest is iconic. Our guest is Sarah Dosa, a documentary filmmaker and producer 
whose latest film, Fire of Love, was nominated for an Academy Award, heard of it, a BAFTA, and won a DGA Award for Outstanding Directing. Other documentaries include The Seer and Unseen and The Last Season. She also produced the Peabody Award-winning film, Audrey and Daisy. And you know what else she did? What? She put up with me as a roommate freshman year of college. <laughs> I say it's her biggest accomplishment. This is Naomi's freshman year roommate who happens to be an Academy Award-nominated documentarian. <laughs> This is maybe the giggliest episode. <laughs> this is like being in your dorm room freshman year at Wesleyan. It Naomi. is. It's giving late night chitter chatter. So you know what? Without any further ado, roll it. Now, listener, I will be calling Sarah Dosa by her full name, okay? And that's something I've been doing for 20 years, and I'm not going to stop now. Yes, and right? I will, too, ju- even though we have just met, because <laughs> Naomi has only referred to you as Sarah Dosa, as opposed to Sarah, or Sarah D, or the D lady. <laughs> or the D lady? Yeah, because I was going to say the D man, you know, like, the D man, but I'm like, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. never. Uh, you know, uh, or, uh, or Dosa, because Naomi does... She does do that Rob Schneider character around the house a lot. (laughs) A lot, a lot, a lot around the house. Um, Sarah Joseph, how are you doing today? Where are you at emotionally? What are you feeling? I've got to say I'm giddy to be here. I love your show and I love you. And so it's just a real honor. This is really fun. Um, Yeah. So my heart's the fluttering. Um, I have a big (laughs) smile on my face. Uh, Yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Yeah, how about you both? Uh, we well, <laughs> so our, our cat Squee had a little stomachache yesterday, so I slept on the couch with him. He's fine, oh, just okay. to, just so we're so, so no one's uh, feeling bad for Squee. He's doing okay today, but I slept on the couch with him last night just to just to keep sp- him company. Yeah, to keep him company. <laughs> and then I'm on the and then I wake up and I'm like just sitting on my phone and Naomi goes, uh, "It's like ten o'clock something," and she's like, "Oh, we got a podcast in half an hour." I go, "No, no, it's at one o'clock today." She goes, "No, no, no." <laughs> It's at 11 a.m. I go, oh, no. <laughs> so that's that's the space I'm living in where I where everything. But I did it. I got it. I, everything's together. I'm yes, awake. Sarah, can you verify for the listener? Andy does look awake. He looks refreshed. Awake, refreshed. Yes. Check and check. Exactly. You never know. You never know. He Because it was like 1024. And I was like, no, Andrew, we're doing this. And I was surprised <laughs> that he was still like. He was still horizontal. Do you know what I mean? Because Andy is the kind of person who needs a real ramp up into like the day. Good three or four hours. <laughs> so I'm conscious. The thing is, eleven and one. It's it's pretty much the same number, just like you know, doubled. So I, I empathize with that confusion. I've done that before. So yeah. Although nothing bad happened on nine one. So okay, Sarah Dosa. Now, as someone who's listened to the podcast, you know we talk about you know, love, life, relationships, friendships, you know, and obviously you're one of the few guests who I'm coming in with this, this knowledge of, you know, for the listener, Sarah Dose and I were freshman year roommates. Okay. <laughs> so she also met me at my craziest. Sarah Dosa knows some shit that nobody else know. We got to keep it in the vault. I said, Sarah Dosa, I will pay you to no. keep something secret. No, this is why I'm excited to talk to you. I want to, I want to hear the tea. What's the freshman year tea? Because, <laughs> It was, what a what a complicated year! What a, <laughs> in everyone's lives? What would you do? You guys have pillow fights? We probably did actually. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> <what? Yeah. laughs> you might have had him, and I wasn't there because, like, <laughs> you guys did Van Wilder. Is that what happens in Van Wilder? Just assume. <laughs> well, okay, you know, uh, I think Sarah 
and this is again obviously the memory, the characterization, and also um, I do like to just tell the listener, tell the guest what I think of them, and then they have to crawl their way out, you know, because that's how I interview. <laughs> Move over, Barbara Walters. <laughs> Speaking of which, though, what kind of tree would you be if you were a tree? <laughs> that's a good question. That is that is a great. Is that a question? <laughs> Who did she ask that to? I don't know. Actually, I'm gonna pose it to you just for the fuck of it. What do you think, Sarah? You like nature. You might have an answer to this. I do like nature. Um, I speaking of freshman year and speaking of nature, um, I re- there was one day when you said something about me liking nature and that I smelled like pine, and I read, yeah, then that became a thing. Sarah Dosa, small hands, smells like pine. <laughs> so I'm just gonna go with pine tree for that for that reason. Great. Wow. Was that also your your Tinder profile? Yeah, it's a good question if that's a selling point or not for people. But um, but yeah, I do have very small hands. So that was a, a fun thing that I remember. <laughs> it's true. I it's true. Well, like when we got there, because like I definitely, you know, I was an only ch- I am an only child used to being by myself. Like the college roommate experience was a tough one for me. And I'm a sad person. And so you combine that like sharing space, but now also someone seeing me in the darkness that like, no, they're not supposed to because you're usually, I'm just used to having my own time. You know, Sarah Dolson was out here playing soccer, doing dance. She would go outside being like, the sun is out. It must be warm. And I said, no, Sarah Dolson, it's freezing. <laughs> I remember that so well. I remember, yeah, because I, I grew up in, in California where sun and blue sky equals it's just warm. And I, I would wear flip-flops constantly. And, and I, yeah, I have the clearest memory of, I think it was like in November. I was like, oh, sun is out. And I just like bolted outside. And you were like, don't do that. And I did it. And then I came right back in. And you're, yeah, you had that very, like, I told you so face on. But yeah, um, I also like, I grew up a twin and I was so used to sharing space. And I always was worried that I was too much of like, you know, a little Disney animal, like nipping at your heels. Be like, hey, Naomi, want to like hang out? Like be in that kind of roommate, like space. And then I was like, oh shit, I must be really annoying to her. I'm going to try and walk it back a little bit, tone it down. But, but it's, yeah, I feel like we came from different sibling, no sibling relationships in that way. And, and, um, but I just remember so much laughter, um, and uh, yeah, adventures at Mokan, eating way too much food, um, all kinds of quality. Wait a second. Hold on. You're a twin. So you yes. went from a very intense, I would say, probably relationship. Then so you're so I just want to paint this picture because paint it, paint it Andy, paint it. Freshman year, Wesleyan University. Yes. yes. The, the university Michael Bay founded. <laughs> <laughs> We've got... Uh, uh, one person apart from their womb mate for 18 years, the other person depressed, never been, <laughs> never been, never had a roommate at all before. Yeah. Outside yeah. of your mother. Exactly. And that's its own roommate. Situation. And now this is a sitcom, right? <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, I think it was really, it was funny because we would joke about, there were certain pairings where it felt like, Oh, whoever did that was really trying to like teach someone a lesson where you felt like, oh, this is a random group of people um, that they've forced together. Um, for instance, there were these three guys who lived together and their last names were Rao, Yao, and Zhao. That's right. a white dude from uh, the Midwest and then two international students. And you were like, someone was having fun when they put those three together. Well, I completely forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Sandra, we were like, that's a good one. But I think you and I too, it was like we were very different people and it was kind of like what a freshman year situation is supposed to be. Like you both gonna learn some shit. <laughs> Sunny and cloudy. That would be the name of the show. Oh, no. Yes, 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 um, yes, yes. It's interesting hearing that because I don't remember cloudy, like quite honestly. Like I I, I, rem- I, rem- I remember, you know, there there's like tough times, challenges of freshman year that everybody was navigating. But my first instinct when I think about freshman year, I, I think of like um, a lot of laughter, a lot of exploration. Um, um, for my own part, I remember there's all kinds of things I was really confused about and insecure about and scared of for my, myself just being a freshman in a new place. But um, but yeah, it's, it's just interesting to hear that kind of characterization um, in hindsight. Well, so. it was also funny because what they had given us at the time, they had given us the other person's contact information, right? And I remember writing you a letter in advance yeah, yeah. being like, we're going to be roommates. And you know me, honey, I had to punch it up. You know, I had to make <laughs> jokes. I had to be like, how do I how do I win this stranger over? Um, so there was also that in advance. That's so actual- un- unlike you. <laughs> <laughs> But that was like in advance of actually meeting and trying to, because it was, I was like, oh my God, who is this person I'm about to share space with? And we have like no idea what that's going to be, but it is, um, it is, it, it is, you know, so true. Like this idea, you know, cause let's take this, let's really take this, you know, again, now that we're all grown, grown adults. Okay. Some of us on this Zoom are Oscar nominated. <laughs> Things have changed in our lives, but looking at you, you know, it's true. It's like you as some a, of us won our ninth grade science fair. Some of us <laughs> did, Andrew. You're right. You're right. Did I do an experiment you, about uh, about what about nonlinear oh, oh. dynamics, chaos theory, as some might say? Okay. I did. Okay, did cool. I, yeah, cool. Let's, let's, yeah. <laughs> put that out there. Um, but you know, having a twin, being very uh, close, mm-hmm. and also you know, you were close with your parents too. Like you guys, you know. Um, it seems like, you know, you we all, we're always talking to guests where we're like, so you liked your family. Tell us more. <laughs> not, that, hold on. not that we didn't like our family. No, no, no. Like is the wrong one. Just but, you in know, case clips that out. And I know. Sends, <laughs> just, like, just to be clear. But uh, close with, like very close, like emotionally open with your family. That's, yes. I think that's, that's the, the part that's just like, what? I remember in Temple, someone telling me that they're like, yeah, I talked to my parents about like smoking pot. I go, what? <laughs> Why would you do that? Why would you want to know anything about like it's not that like that you would talk to them about wouldn't talk to them about drug use, but that you would ask them about what drugs that they did. Like, oh, why would you want to yeah. know right. that level yeah. of their lives? And they're like, Yeah, they did they did pot in the sixties. They still smoke every once in a while. Uh-huh. And you're like, This is weird. They're parents, they're not friends. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They're authority figures. This is I live in a Freudian <laughs> nightmare. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> But like, you know, growing up, you know, with that close connection, do you feel like it made it easier for you to connect with people as an adult? You know, kind of once you leave the nest, do you feel like having that base made it easier or was it almost like, no, I have this great little, you know, insular relationship in oh, home life? Like you don't need to because you're already you're getting you're you're, you're fulfilled, you're fam- familiarly fulfilled. So you don't need to find that stuff outside. Wow. That's such a good and deep question. I feel like I'm having like my head and heart both go like, <laughs> <laughs> this is an audio <laughs> format that my, yeah, I, that's the sound of my head and heart exploding. <laughs> uh, with curiosity, not with destruction. <laughs> we love that. We love that. 
Yeah, but um, yeah, that's a great question. I, I feel really uh, grateful for my parents um, and for my sister. I always feel like I was born with my best friend. Um, people change though. And when we grow and we learn as we have new experiences and I think freshman year, um, it was, yeah, the first time really being away from my family taught me that I really had to kind of go outside of this um, kind of little nest that I had like the the good fortune of, of growing up within. Um, so um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I do think that there, are, there was a lot I learned about boundaries um, which was really healthy and important for me because with my sister, there was like no sense of boundaries whatsoever. It was just, we shared everything. We did mm-hmm. so much together. We are and were extremely different people, mm-hmm. um, but there was such a closeness there that I think I went into um, a lot of uh, perhaps like immediately like close social interactions with like an expectation of like, oh, that's just how it's going to be. And I think as I've become an adult, I've really learned like, oh no, like that's, that's like definitely not, this isn't a shared experience. And that's a good thing. It's like really important to allow for, to see and to maintain spaciousness. Um, and um, while at first, like that was a new thing to learn, um, I'm really grateful. And I also need that in my own personal life too, without realizing it. Like I didn't have a language for that. And then um, I learned it and I'm really grateful for it. Um, but uh, yeah, but also people people change. My, my relationship with my sister is still very close, but like there's so much individuation that has happened since. Um, same thing with my parents. Um, uh, and, um, yeah, but I don't really have, like, I, I'm going to think about that a, a lot, um, for, for sure. Um, were there any yeah. stumbling blocks? Like where you were expected? Cause I assume coming from that kind of close family, you expect these other, as you go out into the world, you're like, Oh, well, everyone, we're going to have these relationships. And then was there anything where that expectation met, uh, resistance. Yes, I guess. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, especially I think when we talk about when you talk about learning boundaries, you know, not just your freshman roommate who said, girl, you better take it down. I'm really? weird. <laughs> you have no boundaries either. No, but like it was a different because it was a different way of like, I'll tell you my business, but I'm not necessarily like when I'm in the mood, I'm in the mood and when I'm not, I'm not. It's like mm-hmm. that's it's a different mm-hmm. thing. Oh, yeah. You that's know what true. I mean? Like, I, so it's so it's a different like. But I just mean like sort of like in friendships, in dating. I remember you having a close knit crew through college, like the whole, you know, like the, through the whole time. Like, but did you feel that it was more in friendships or in romantic relationships that you had to learn those lessons? Hmm. I think both. Um, yeah, I, I think definitely both. Um, yeah, I think that. And yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of like good examples. Um, uh, but I think that perhaps there, I always had in romantic relationships, I think that there um, so many of them were characterized by like a sense of yearning. And I think like wanting just like the most um, like kind of profound sense of intimacy uh, mm. because uh, I came from a place um, where I had that with, you know, a sister and granted a very different type of relationship, but, uh, but where I did have, yeah, have that closeness. And so um, that probably made me really intense as like <laughs> in romantic relationships, uh, especially earlier on. But I, I think I might've idealized closeness in a way that 
for me probably felt like romance, um, but um, could have had an intensity to it that came from just kind of how I understood family. Um, I think too, like my, my dad especially uh, came from um, a family where he, he didn't have close relationships in his family. And so he very intentionally actively worked on that in terms of building that into um, my family um, to make sure that we didn't experience kind of what he experienced. And so that was something that growing up, like I, I kind of always felt like family and relationships are something that you really have to like put work into and it's, it's infused with love. Um, but but that was something that I, f- I feel like I perhaps like brought into some of my relationships too, of just wanting to like, if there's like conflict, really trying to be like, okay, well, what's, how can we navigate through this um, to, to get to that place of perhaps over-idealized closeness um, and then having to kind of realize like, yeah, people bring so much of themselves, of their own experiences into these things. How can I take a step yeah. back from that sense of yearning and, and desire to, to make room if, if that kind of makes sense. All of this is like very, I have never <laughs> talked about this or processed this before. So. <laughs> no, <yeah. laughs> uh, and I'm sure that sense of yearning and, and desire for intimacy was met with resounding success by the cishet men. I was going to say. Of the, it's early, like, <laughs> of the early 2000s. Well, I was going to say, I'm like, I need, like a, the things that I think about this with myself too, is like the things I expected from a 19-year-old boy. <laughs> what was I asking for? You know what I mean? And it's like that same way because it's like wanting this thing. And you're like, this person is not equipped for this. And I'm actually yeah. not even that equipped. I just want it. Did you, you know think that mean? then though? Did you like, did both of you consciously I didn't know then. I really was like, oh. it just said yearning, the romanticism of it all. I was yeah. like, this is what love is. Exactly. Yeah. That's such a good way of putting it. It's just like, I didn't have reference points before. My reference points were like, I had like a high school boyfriend, but he was really, he was like my across the street neighbor. He was like my best friend. It was just like, I, re- I came across a letter that I actually found that we had written. And like in the letter, it's like, well, it's Tuesday. I don't want to break up because like we have to take a ride together to get to so-and-so's party on Thursday. So it was like, we were like, like breaking up weekly but like it was around like who was gonna get a ride from who because like not many of us could drive or had cars so it was just like so all to say like it was a great relationship we're still close but it's, I, I didn't know what love was aside from like movies and music and and books so it was like yeah to feel it myself which I thought I felt my freshman year it was just like oh this is love and there weren't the frameworks um for navigating through it and and yeah I know that you and I like we, yeah there's some hilarity of of um some of the the funny young uh Wesleyan um men uh <laughs> that <laughs> that we encountered um Oh, yeah, but yeah, but all to say, I agree. I was just like, this, this is what love is and, and didn't know what it, yeah. How to unpack it, what it meant. So. Let's go through those guys <laughs> one by one. <laughs> oh my God. It's like so insane, but I, but it's funny. Cause you know, I do, when well, you said this, cause I think of you as, you know, a romantic. And I remember when I saw fire of love, I was like, this is a Sarah Dust motion picture. <laughs> I said, of course she would make this movie about like the beauty and romance of volcanoes <laughs> and like this in this couple. But do you know what I mean? Like it is like it is you take such a and they're so sexual too. <laughs> it wasn't, but it wasn't it wasn't even like it, it wasn't even playing a sexy game in terms of like sure that's one way you could look at it, but it really just had this like romance in the like French 18th century way. Like it, if that makes any sense, almost like this kind of pure 
beauty, majesty of nature. And I and I just thought it's like you you never lost that romance and that optimism. The sublime. In the, the sublime. In the Kantian way. Yes. The sublime. Absolutely. The sublime. Absolutely. Oh, well, that that is like a, a high compliment and it's very kind of, of you to say there. Volcanoes are sublime for sure. Um, and I feel like I feel lucky that I have had moments in my life where I've experienced love that too has felt transcendent in that kind of sublime way. Um and I guess that makes me a romantic. Uh, I've certainly had my heart broke and whew, the, the optimism has died a thousand deaths. Um, but I feel lucky that it's been resuscitated in various ways as well. Um, but I, f- I feel like you almost, maybe it makes me more of a romantic to say this, but I feel like you can't like possibly see kind of the complexity and beauty or the sublime of love without knowing deep heartbreak and sadness and loss. Um, so Maybe that's cliche of me to say, but um, I'll just say, yeah, that optimism from 18-year-old Sarah roommate, uh, she's <laughs> she's been dead and gone and come back in different forms and demons and all <laughs> kinds of things at various times. But um, but I, I I like, yeah, it's fun to, to hear that that feeling from way back then. Yeah. Did you ever sit on the edge of the volcano, reach Schopenhauer to a lover? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question, Andy. Have you ever sat at the edge of a volcano and read Schopenhauer to a lover? <laughs> it's on my to-do list. <laughs> How about you, bu- <laughs> On my bucket list, too, now. So I, I will not be there. I will not be on the edge of the volcano with you. You can sit there and read it, and then maybe with a bullhorn. And I can I'll hear. zoom. I'll FaceTime you. Okay, go FaceTime from the edge of the volcano. Uh-huh. So wait, but Sarah, what was your journey then into, into a more realistic perhaps I'll use that word version of romance. Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. I, um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, these are making me think, um, I've had like uh, a lot of different types of relationships and I think each one has, has taught a lot. Um, I think that sometimes I would go for people who were, um, quite adventurous and really creative and enigmatic. And there was like that force that they bring, um, that felt kind of matched with my like own kind of sense of, uh, uh, like that, that search for that unrequited feeling that I was, you know, perhaps the sublime, um, but the drama, certainly there's drama yes. in that unrequited. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Such drama in that. And, and oftentimes big egos and a lot of expectations, um, that would cause me to perhaps, uh, have to, um, subsume some of the some parts of myself, um, or cause me to, uh, become small in ways that, uh, didn't feel equitable in the relationship. And that could be really hard. Um, and at the same time would teach me, like, I, you know, I, I know that, um, yeah, just, to to, to interrogate myself, um, and, and what I'm looking for. And if there's ways to kind of seek out what I'm attracted to in this relationship, but in other parts of my life, whether it's through friendships, whether it's through professional work, whether it's just through like how I live, um, so I, I think that process, uh, oh, and then I would sometimes swing to the opposite. I would be in a relationship with someone who was like the, like calmest, the most <laughs> the, stable, the most stable, exactly the most stable. And then I would get so 
um, for lack of a better word, just so bored. Um, yeah. And then I, I would find milk toast, not necessarily yeah. stable, just milk yeah. toast. Milk toast, exactly. Yeah, and I would think that I was doing something like right for myself because, like, like oh, I don't want that drama again. I, I want this, and um, but then I would be worried that I would unwittingly become, you know, that that force that I had just kind of wanted to to leave. So um, I realized that I was doing like kind of this back and forth of like adventure, milk toast, adventure, milk toast. <laughs> And that I had to just find do some some work on on myself and and become um, more satisfied with who I was, what I was doing to to find kind of that stability as well as that adventure kind of through other means. And then if you know, and and then yeah, kind of work more from that centered place rather than kind of seek it out elsewhere. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Again, no, first time I'm saying any of this. No, so. it, it does, because I was going to say, though, does some of that also coincide with you finding your skill and passion as a filmmaker? Because especially when you when I hear you talk about it in terms of adventure or not, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, then Sarah said, let me go follow some mushroom farmers. Like, you like, <laughs> have lived in these places and dropped into these worlds, and it's like you found adventure without having to be with chaos a chaotic person but then you were at the same time you're probably dating some guy who uh makes sudokus or something <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with it i'm just saying that like in my mind though the person the like, counterpoint to going but it, it uh, was sarah excuse me can you please <laughs> i am trying to write out today's sudoku for the paper tomorrow and uh i don't appreciate hearing you in the other room <laughs> laugh laugh okay laughing but I mean, was any of that connected? You know what I mean? Like kind of finding your path and then letting go of somebody. Yeah, that's a good know? question. I think possibly. I, I think that that kind of like yearning for, um, yeah, for kind of a feeling of perhaps the, the uh, for intimacy, for connections with people really did come through uh, in my work. I feel, I feel so lucky. It took a really long time to kind of get into um, documentary filmmaking. Um, like I very much, you know, uh, did... Uh, a very hard climb was juggling so many freelance projects as, as so many people who work in, you know, the film industry ha have to do. Um, so it wasn't kind of like a, like, Oh, my adventure goes here. It's like, for example, my first film, um, which was about, you know, these two uh, mushroom hunters whose lives intersect in the Oregon woods. Uh, like that was my first time working as a director. And I had like seven different freelance jobs um, to, to support myself through, through that time. So there was adventure uh, and kind of that excitement and that creative process. And I, I made that film with some super close friends and we became kind of our own little tight knit family. Um, like that collaborative process, I think is where I found that sense of, of satisfaction, that meaning that comes with those personal relationships. Um, but there's also like the need for stability because I, you know, at one point I like moved back in with my parents and I feel lucky that I could have, but like, it's so hard to support myself during, during times like that. Um, but yeah, hearing you say this, like my, my film teams really do like I work, I tend to work with the same people throughout projects because there's such closeness there. Um, there's some of my best friends in the world and we can say anything to each other and know that there's like that trust and that love. No, I'm not saying that we do. There's no like shouting matches, actually, but like, but yeah, we're, we're uh, I think that I found that kind of closeness through the collaborative process. So then how did that translate into your romantic life? When you were fulfilled there, did that allow you to find someone who was see a bit more clearly I guess I would say because that's my impulse right once you're what you're saying is like once you're sort of fulfilled between the relationships creatively 
you know, you're collaborating, do you now get a clearer sense of what's good for you and what's not? Oh, see, I think of it more as that once you have, once you have stability in one part of your life, that opens you up to invite chaos into other parts of your life. <laughs> and so you are, but you're okay. Like figuring out things that like once I moved to New York and I'm like, and I was existentially fulfilled, then I could open my romantic life up in a more. Oh yeah. And I am chaos. <laughs> I am chaos. Destroyer of worlds. Okay. Me in 2013. You're Oppenheimer and Barbie put together. <laughs> in one package. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's such an interesting question. Um, I think I feel like, yeah, hypothetically, yes, but also the world is just so uncertain. The world, I do think that the world is chaos and it can be beautiful chaos at times, but I think that, um, uh, and filmmaking is chaos too. Um, um, I definitely at one point made, uh, I, I thought that I always wanted to be with someone who is also a filmmaker, that they could just understand that this lifestyle, because it's so, um, for, for many people, it's a very unconventional lifestyle. And, uh, so I wanted someone who could come on the road with me and, and whatnot. And, but then I had some experiences, um, that taught me like, no, 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 I, I don't want that. I don't want a filmmaker. Um, and, uh, but can then you, I, can I you give an example without naming names. <laughs> uh, I'll just say there's a, a relationship with, with, um, someone, um, and it was like super exciting, but it definitely got my heart broken. And I think part of that was uh, kind of like the the uh, their creative ambition and their sense of self and purpose within that to a very intensely ego driven way. Like there is charisma behind that that was very attractive, but kind of unpacking some of the I don't want to use the word like like narcissism by any means, but, um, but I'll use it. But it made me think it like, sounds like yeah. some narcissism maybe. And that was documentarian Errol Morris, correct? Shh. But it just taught me some things like maybe I don't want to be with a filmmaker right now. Um, but, uh, he's quite private about it. So I'm not, I should probably shouldn't say too much, but I now feel very lucky that I, I am in a new relationship with my longtime producing and creative partner. And that feels really fulfilling and, mm. um, and it's great. Um, it took, we were very close friends, collaborators for many years. There was never ever a boundary crossed or, uh, from, uh, yeah. Uh, but, um, I, I feel like I've kind of found my way back into that, that more like idealized, way of working together that I had like many, many years ago and then gave up, but then came, came back to somehow. Well, this is what I want to ask you. And you don't have to talk about your current relationship. It can just be about the collaborative process. And I asked this also just, um, it's not about gossip as much as like curiosity and tea of like, for instance, Andy and I work together. Andy is more inclined to collaborate and I am not. I actually realized that my love language is active. So that oh. collaborating is part of my love language. Right. You said making stuff. Making doing. stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whereas like to me. Or mini golf. <laughs> making stuff or mini golf. And that's a spectrum. That's a continuum. Um, but because I guess for me, the work of this pursuit, right? The creative stuff. Mm -hmm. This is a business. It's stressful to me. It doesn't feel good. And so I prefer my partner, my friends to be breaks from that. Like uh -huh. when I'm with you, I don't uh -huh. want to be thinking about that. And so 
I'm so curious as to even before you mentioned your relationship, even as you said, like you're like the people I work with on the movies are like some of my best friends. And I'm like, how do you keep that? The friends of it all and like the realness up against, you know, it's yes, it's documentary filmmaking. You but you are in these contexts, you are the director. So in some in some arenas and moments, it's just like you got to call an audible or what you say goes. And how do you how do you do that and still preserve the relationships? Yeah. Such good questions. I think that, in, and I'm thinking about like, like my editor, Erin Casper, I've worked with her on three films. She's, she's one of my closest friends. Um, she, I'm, I'm going through divorce too, but Erin, like she officiated that wedding. So that was like, like the, the, like kind of level of closeness and just integration. Um, I feel like she's like my sister in arts is like how, kind of how I describe her. Um, and I feel like with Aaron, there's just like so much, we like talk about everything. Uh, and I think that's the thing is like there is, and I don't want to like flatten a power dynamic because there's of course like power dynamics on, on, in every film team and on every set. Um, and the director is imbued with, with that kind of authority um, I think for us, I learned so much about filmmaking from Aaron, actually, mm. um, that I feel like that um, might have uh, maybe kind of uh, like Level caused. Yeah, exactly. And and I think our style as a team, um, we we try to to just. Um, yeah, it's like decision. I, there, there's not like a top down kind of thing. Like everything really is like discussions. And we've certainly had disagreements in the past, but I think we've been able to talk through those in a way that's like brought us closer. And I'm not just talking about Aaron in this case. It's, there's other like producers and other collaborators I've worked with. Um, I've also worked on projects that have been like horrifically toxic and with like people who I just have such uh still like I'm, I'm sensing in my body like ire rising like mm -hmm. they treated me horribly and they treated other people horribly and they made me turn into just like uh, a gremlin of anger who's like clutching my whole body shaking and disgust and so I think because I've gone through some of those situations which sad like so many of us have and in different degrees of course um that like I just like never ever want to replicate that and any of the the teams I work with um but um so I, I think that's maybe my long way of saying like like there's just like the friendship is like blurred and just as part of our creative process too but um but I think going through such shit um it does make me want to have an escape but but actually it's making me realize I think some of like the shit makes me like closer to some of the people that I've worked with because we've all gone through, you know, it's like mm -hmm. we've been in the trenches together. Um, and I, I definitely didn't start as a director. I started as a PA and really kind of worked my way up. Um, so, um, yeah, I think that also just makes you close to people and they just kind of can get you and see you because they know like what you've been through, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I was listening to this podcast about psychotherapy and they were talking about group dynamics and they mm -hmm. they were saying they were uh, referencing some uh, psychoanalyst guy, Beyond is his last name. And all I could think of in my head was Bed Bath & Beyond. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> but they're set, they were talking about on the, on the podcast that like all group dynamics are essentially dysfunctional. And it yeah. takes work to yeah. make them functional. Mm -hmm. And how much work you – like whatever your relationship is – if it's outside of you, anything outside of you is going to take work. I mean, you take work. Any single person, <laughs> should, everyone should be in therapy. Everyone, everyone <laughs> takes work. Couples so therapy. Imagine, yeah, 
Yeah, imagine adding another human being, and then imagine adding a bunch of human beings yeah. and power dynamics in some cases and, and things like that. And and so if you put work into these relationships, they will be fruitful. Yeah. Especially like creative relationships, especially like as opposed to like screaming at someone, cut that half a second earlier. I those five extra frames are infuriating me. You you would talk with the editor and be like, hey, Aaron, is that her name? Aaron, uh, I, I think maybe just cut out these five frames or whatever. And then she'd be like, I don't want to. And then you would have a discussion over that as opposed to what what uh, the toxic filmmakers do is just scream at the person and do the thing they want. I know. I guess I've just, you know, I've been thinking about this, especially, again, the, um, the strike of it all. And as people tell more and more of their stories openly and Andy and I like work together and I think about, OK, what does it look like in the future of this business and this feeling of like it seems like. So many people in charge don't know how to use their words, haven't been taught. Nope. There's a difference between being creative and being a boss. Yeah. And people yeah. who have like a vision but don't know how to manage. And like and 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 so, but then also too, I think a lot of times people get around it by hiring all their friends, right? You get a lot of people where mm -hmm. they're like, this is my crew and these are my besties. And again, you develop a shorthand and stuff. Yeah. So that can help you kind of bypass that stuff sometimes, but also figuring out how do I make sure this person stays my friend when it's all done? Yeah. Because I get yeah. scared of working, not just with Andy, I get scared of working with friends because I'm so nervous that, we, you know, the process will break us and uh, then I've lost a friend for like yeah. six months of work. You know, I get very, I'm always just like, is, how do, is there a way to bypass it? How do you make it happen? There's so many things you don't know until you're in it right because i think the pressure of stuff right like if you're up against a deadline because i think that's what they do a lot in this business at least on narrative they don't give people time to do anything which is why then everyone yells you know what i mean because they're like we don't have time for this conversation and you're like jesus yeah and there's so much pressure and there's so much meaning behind it too it's like these are they're so exciting they're they're so fun that's the stuff of dreams you know and so that makes the stakes all the higher um and yeah just ingredients for explosive dynamics um and of course yeah sacrificing friendships for that um is tough um from, from my experience like I, I became friends with these people through the processes. Like when I first started working with Erin, to use her again as an example, I, I didn't know her. I, I knew of her work. I thought she was a really talented editor and I was working on my very first film as a director. And so I was excited to work with an experienced editor who I could learn from. Um, and then we just became really good friends in the process. And then once the film was over, there's kind of a sense of like, oh, I'm like not going to see this person who I've spent so much time with. Uh, anymore because of that kind of um, the nature of, of what it means to work in, in project-based um, medium. And then we realized like, hey, let's keep hanging out. And, and so we kind of, our friendship grew from there. And then uh, the next project, I, I wanted to work with her again. And so it just kind of developed, but it was from a place of not actually being friends. So, but I have friends who I would definitely not work with because I know it would be the end of our friendship. And um, in some cases I've been really direct about them about like 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 I love you and I love my work and these two loves they're not gonna mesh in in this way like let's keep things separate and I've had to have some hard conversations about not collaborating with people because of that um uh but um yeah and that can that can be tough for sure um but I I really I can see why you yeah it's 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 tumultuous work that we do and um 
uh, and the sacrificing of people who mean so much. Yeah. is is a tricky, tricky one for sure. Yeah. It requires you to be healthy yourself because otherwise you will just, whatever that thing is, whether it's a deadline or whether it's an insane request from an executive or something like that, it requires mm-hmm. you to be able to, okay, maybe you can't talk to the executive and say, Hey, that doesn't make sense or that's contradictory or you're a psychopath, <laughs> but you can Okay, well, this is what it is. And uh, instead of yelling at these people that I've hired to help me, mm-hmm. I'm going to talk to them like adults. Like, this is what the pressure is. Mm-hmm. I think, like, the first thing that we did, Naomi, we, tr- we tried to protect the writers from that. And instead, they just saw us becoming more and more insane <laughs> without any knowledge why we were becoming more and more insane. Is that what we did? Because I was worried I'd talk too much shit because that's me. You know I can't keep my mouth shut. So I'd be like, let me tell you what they just said. And then No, and we didn't do that. We didn't do that. But we would talk shit about the notes because we got so many contradictory notes. Like literally, I don't mean contradictory like, oh, this contradicts something from like two weeks ago. Literally, yeah. I remember uh, uh, some notes that we got the first paragraph contradicted the second paragraph yeah. yeah, in a way that made it impossible. Like yeah. not just like, Oh, well maybe we can figure out some way to like solve this contradiction in a Hegelian fashion. <laughs> it, it literally like was impossible to yeah. do. So, yeah. so like the, it just made us nuts to the point where like Naomi got an ulcer and I had heart like palpitation. Like it was like hurting my heart. Yeah. We had to walk away we had, and we had to walk had to away. From, I know. But, like, I remember us protecting them. And, and since then, I've, like, okay, if we get back into that, if they're, if we get a show again, when we get a show again. Mm, yes, put it into the universe. Let us be transparent. Let us treat this these relationships like we treat our relationship, where we are fairly transparent about our emotional states and what's going on. Transparent but protective, meaning like tell mm-hmm. people, but it's not their responsibility to then take care of you. Right. Because that's right. what's tricky when you have a boss where you're like, do you need a hug? No, 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 no not, really not like that. Not like that. weeping in front of in front of them and saying like <laughs> this is hard. But I'm saying, hey, this is what's happening. Yeah. And this is what we have to do. And I think that's the way to, again, like it, it use being transparent in group dynamics is yeah. what is going to make them not dysfunctional yeah. or not as dysfunctional as they might be. Yeah. Knowing the boundaries. Yeah. Does that make sense, Sarah? Yeah, no, what do you no, think, Sarah? Because you, you, agree? Seem, you have to tell us. You seem like think... a very emotionally healthy person, so. <laughs> and you've been collaborating and, like, getting, you know what I mean? Like, doing this work and work. As you said, like, you know, you found a nice group for the stuff you do. And I don't think it's easy to find that group. It's it's definitely, it's not easy to find that group. Uh, yeah, there's been a lot of um, uh, tricky situations that I think finally it's kind of cohered. Um, but yeah, I think that's a, I, I think like what, what you're saying about, um, especially like your humor and like, you know, pointing out the ridiculous things that, that you're encountering, like you need outlets for things like you need to vent and it can be so hard to find those outlets. Um, I think in such pressure filled processes, um, I do think that like being direct and transparent with people is like hypothetically the best way to go. But at the same time, you never know where people are at. Like you just don't like, um, what people are dealing with in their own lives, um, emotionally outside of the project or their conflict style. Like, uh, some people are like totally comfortable with conflict and are like, it's like almost like a love language to, to be like, 
you know, this is what I think you're doing this wrong. And well, you know, to really come at you head on and just to think that that's like, you know, that's how things are done. Whereas so many people are also so conflict averse and, you know, you, you are upfront and transparent and they might just completely run away and hide. So I, all that's my long way of saying like, hypothetically, yes, I feel like directness, honestly, transparency, always the best in any group situation. And at the same time, like people are going to react however they're going to react. And there's like that surrendering of control that like, um, you know, that I think is inherent in any kind of group process, um, which is also so important um, that there's like, it's like a group is like, I just think of like an amoeba or something of like this like blob. <laughs> you all like, did you ever play that game? Like where like you have like a, um, almost like a piece of like rubber, um, uh, around like, so, like, all, like tied up yeah and you exactly. have to, like, get yourselves undone but like stay together or something yeah like, exactly icebreaker type thing like at a retreat kind of but also if your kids it's yeah. like very fun it could go both yeah ways. exactly when you're kids like i have a memory of i think doing this as kids and, and trying to like move forward but everyone's going in different directions like i, I just think of that in terms of like group dynamics is like people bring so much of themselves so much of their own lived experiences to things their own sense of of desires stakes ambitions um as well as their wounds um and it's so hard um uh to to, to know um how things are going to land even when done with the best of intentions and the utmost clarity and directness so yeah, all to say, I agree. I think that that's the best way to go, as well as holding space for the inevitable uncertainties that will come forth from that process. And it's like, but then how do you make art out of that? Yeah, well, that's <laughs> you my know? question for you. You're a director. So there's an inherent kind of contradiction there between you wanting to impose the narrative you want especially a documentary filmmaker. You, it's not just that you can't control the narrative because you're on a, a sound stage and you're like, okay, I want, you're not Amy Sherman Palladino and you want every like microsecond controlled. You now have to deal with nature and other humans who you are filming and so did that help you kind of surrender a little bit to that? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I also, again, I was not starting out as a director and, and like starting out as a PA and then associate producer, produ like I had so many different roles that like, um, I never, I don't think I ever necessarily went in thinking like it's, it's my way or the highway. Like that was never mm. part of how I kind of saw these processes, um, but I always like felt most at home in this idea that like documentary filmmaking's um, like actual media was serendipity. You know, there's there's just like you have to kind of um, the John Cusack be... film. <laughs> yes, that <laughs> that serendipity. Case I can All my that. movies are versions. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, there's like this sense of just that where you do like life is is happening and hitting you at all sides. Um, and if you can find a way to kind of, uh, I guess, like ride with that and, and see openly the changes that are going to come your way. Um, like I remember this is kind of a, a simplistic example, but like the very first film I was making is about uh, these mushroom hunters in Oregon. And, silly shroom uh, boys, right? Yeah, that's what it's called. Those Silly Shroom Boys was the title. <laughs> Everyone look it up. 
<laughs> Give it 10 stars on IMDb, please. <laughs> um, yeah, um, that film, um, uh, we, uh, like the mushroom season that started in, in the early August. And when we got to the Oregon woods in early August, I was like communicating with the, the man, our, our main participant in the film, um, the, this man named Koi Locke. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm still in Washington taking huckleberries. The huckleberries are, are really strong right now. And there's a drought in Oregon. And so we're just not going to come down for another few weeks and I was like what the fuck like we have nothing to film like how are we gonna do this um but we realized actually filming the drought which felt like filming like literally just like dust (laughs) um it turned out to be an important part of our story as one of the major obstacles that the people in our film were encountering. And it was just one of those lessons of like having to be really open to what's happening and listening deeply to the people in my film um, and what they're experiencing rather than trying to be like, no, no, mushroom season starts on Labor Day weekend and goes until like November 5th. It's like, that's just not how life works and having to try to get comfortable with uncertainties um, and find collaboration, not just with crew, but participants in the film. that for me felt like the most kind of connected kind of stance to be in that was like able to kind of see the, the waves and, and see the serendipitous um, or, or to, to turn um, I guess, to turn frustration into serendipity rather. Um, Cause I, at first I was like, fuck, I was like really upset and frustrated and it was my first film. So I was like, I don't know how to do this. Like, what do we do? Do we just pack up and leave? But then to try to see the flip side of that and into serendipity and serendipity into kind of, um, yeah, a mode for telling stories. If that, if that kind of makes sense. Okay. Then before we take a break, I got to mm-hmm. ask, uh-huh. learning this kind of lesson, did you then transmit that into your romantic life at all? Okay, Andy's bringing it back to romance. Is there such good questions? I really see, like, the, yeah, couples therapy is such a fitting title for your podcast. Like, you'll be getting an invoice. You'll be getting an invoice, Sarah Dosa. All right, (laughs) payable within 30 days. We take Venmo. Can I? I'm gonna bill it to the Shroom Boys project. Yeah, <laughs> whatever oh, yeah. you can call that. Definitely yeah. deductible. Yeah, <laughs> it's deductible. Yeah, line item that bitch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um. Yeah, I think I guess there's like a a romance to serendipity too. Um. Uh, perhaps again, John um, of just okay. like she's putting it together. Okay, yeah, she's putting again. it together. She's taking the pieces out of the sky. <laughs> she's creating the narrative. There is romance to serendipity. Um, but yeah, I, I guess, yeah, there, there's like, I feel like there are, I don't necessarily believe in, in like fatedness or destiny, but I, I think that the, this idea of like, like finding um, like, uh, yeah, whether it's your chosen family, um, those kinds of things that, that can feel like fate, but it's actually serendipity. It's like when you're orbiting around the things that you find meaningful and happen to find other people that also find those things meaningful, and then you just cohere um, into a shape, whether that's a film crew, whether that's, you know, romantic partnership. Um, there's, yeah, I think that there's like that serendipity that can add that dimension of, of romance, perhaps, um, if that I makes sense. What I was wondering was, did you have, were you, as you learn these lessons in filmmaking, did you become less controlling if you were controlling at all? In relationships, right? Okay, yes. Applying the film lessons to the love lessons, the life. You don't have to name anyone specific, but like, is there? Did you find in yourself, or at least as you now, 
as we're now asking this and you're reflecting back upon mm, Saradosa, this is your life. <laughs> <laughs> Do you yeah. see like, oh yeah, you know what? Things got a lot a little easier when I stopped being uh, when I stopped being the author of my romantic life and yeah. became a character. I don't know how this metaphor goes. <laughs> Um, I, I love where you're going with this. Um, like I, I would watch that movie that, that, that you're describing. Um, I think for me, I, I don't think I was ever controlling in relationships, but I do think I was really seeking. Yeah. I think I was seeking something that perhaps I did really start to find in the creative processes of filmmaking and thus could feel just more comfortable in my own skin. Um, and I think that, by doing so a lot opens up. Um, I think that like, like, especially when I was younger, feeling insecure in romantic relationships, um, feeling insecure in professional relationships. Um, I think that that provokes a kind of like, um, a, a wanting. And also there's like that feeling of like, you have to prove yourself, you know? And I think that I might always have that feeling, um, you know, uh, I could go on and on about the discriminatory, <laughs> uh, experiences that so many people, especially women and, and BIPOC filmmakers experience in, in working through all this. So, um, I think that I carry a lot of like having to prove myself still, which I'm trying to work on, um, um, but I do think that finding a measure of creative fulfillment kind of helped to abate some of those voices of, of, of um, yeah, of insecurity and feeling more comfortable and like, like this is uh, the type of film that I'm drawn to and want to make. Um, these are the stories that ignite my mind and I've, I'm like excited to put out into the world uh, and feeling like, like, okay, yeah, I can, I can do this and I want to do this. And here's like the constellation of people I get to do this with. Yeah. Yeah. That and of course, sense. we would be honored for you to direct the couples therapy tour film. That... <laughs> tour, <laughs> film. tour film. I am not worthy. Doing... That would be so fun. <laughs> one show every three years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's coming. Up. Didn't, don't you have like, or did you just, you just had your, your, no, is it, um, no July 7th. July, July 7th. 7 p.m. Well, by the time this comes out, it might be July. No, this it's going to be after. Oh, maybe. Yeah. It might be. But I'll look, we got to take a break because we have to get, have Sarah share some wisdom with these with these listeners who yeah. have written it. Okay. okay. We're going to take a quick break. And we'll be right back after this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Can we take a minute and talk about Skims? Now, you know I'm a recent Skims convert, having tried their underwear in the last few months, and I am now living lifted, supported, changed. So I decided to keep trying new stuff. And let me tell you, Skims basics and foundations are where it's at. Yes, I recently got the soft, smoothing, seamless t-shirt. And y'all, it is so comfortable. It's been the perfect layer for me. I'm rocking it under a cardigan or a sweater when I want to keep it fitted and fabulous and not look all bulky. I mean, y'all know I'm back to work. Hashtag blessings. And I'm definitely that girl who is always cold in the office. Okay, I need my layers, but I'm still trying to look put together. And the soft, smoothing, seamless shirt is helping me get it right. And I also got the boyfriend t-shirt in Heather Gray, and it is so friggin' soft and comfortable, and it's giving casual but intentional when I wear it with a pair of jeans. I'm feeling very good in it. So if you want to give these and other basics a try, shop the Skims t-shirt shop at skims.com. Now available in sizes extra, extra small through 4X. Thank you for the range, Skims. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Again, that's skims.com. Go check out everything they've got and the new t-shirt shop. with Sarah Dosa here to help you handle your scandal. I know we're past the hour, but you got some time, Sarah Dosa. Yes? Perfect. Perfect. Yes. How's Sarah it? wasn't ready for yelling in unison. She didn't think right. it would happen. She All didn't right. think it would happen. <laughs> All right. Let's do at least one question. We'll see where we stand after that. We get them, of course, from Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, voicemail, our favorite that number, Naomi. 323-524-7839. There's a three-minute limit. Don't play with me. You better be concise. You better put your question in, make that the log line. Mm. And then you give me the details from there. Because mm. I be losing it sometimes. Dad Jag Stu is also the the, the phone the, number. No, phone we're number. not gonna call it Dad Jag Stu. Dad Jag Stu. Those are no <laughs> I looked it up. To remember I, a phone there's a number. website you can put in phone numbers and you can pick the best one that it spells. <laughs> All right, let's do this one. Hi, Andy and Naomi. I love you both. Uh guests. Can't say for sure. Most likely. I certainly love the show. My name's Kayla. I use she, her pronouns. And get this, I'm 25 years old. Cool. Uh, so once again, I was acquaintances with this person in high school. We were in the same friend group. We weren't close. Like, we never hung out one-on-one. So either I never followed her on Instagram back in the day, or I did follow her on Instagram, and I unfollowed her for some stupid high school reason. I don't know. Either way, um, when I was on Twitter, we followed each other, and that kind of absolved my brain of any of this guilt that I'm talking about here. But I left Twitter in the great exodus. The guilt is back on. Here's the situation. We are friendly online. She follows me on Instagram. She will comment things on my posts I always like and I always respond. And at this point, I am like, you know, nearly 10 years out of high school. No, I'm not. I don't know the math on that. Anyway, but either way, it's been a while since I've been in high school, and I still never followed her. So I feel like if I follow her now, that is, I don't know. I feel so awkward about that because she's going to go, what the hell? She hasn't been following me this entire time. Or I follow her, and she's like, fucking finally, right? Like, you haven't been following me. You're insane. I feel like I look insane to her interacting with her and not following her, but also Maybe she doesn't know or can't because I guess my question is, how do I free myself from this mental prison? Um, <laughs> please discuss. Love ya. Uh, that's that's it. That's all I've got. I support the strike. I support you guys. If the strike has passed, I hope that, you know, we got a good deal, whatever it was. Okay. Love you. Keep doing what you're doing. Bye. 
Okay, Sarah, did you hear all that? Did you hear that 25-year-old insanity? (laughs) Mental prison. I love it. I know. I first and foremost, I think she should free herself from that mental prison. Absolutely. <laughs> Step number one. Step number one. This does not matter. That's my biggest. Uh-uh, I disagree. I hundred percent disagree. I don't mean. I don't mean that your concern. Like I get you worrying about it, but I'm saying I don't actually think this even matters to the other person. Like I don't think this person is thinking. Why doesn't she follow me? Because she still engages with yes, you, what you is. post, but she still engages. Like, I think Naomi, if you really felt I, some kind of way, I think if you really felt some kind of way, you would either unfollow the person or you would mute them because they'd be like, "Well, she doesn't follow me back, so then I'm gonna just, I'm just gonna forget her." You know what I mean? Or they're gonna keep commenting in hopes that like they follow. I've seen people do that to me, where it's like someone who I'm not like. I have a, I, I made this because I don't like when I follow someone I know that I'm friends with. And they don't follow me back. It makes me feel like shit. Really? Yes. It makes me feel bad. A stranger or someone who like has been on the podcast once or like beginnings or something like that. I don't necessarily, if they follow me, then I follow them back. Okay. But I do not like, it feels vulnerable. I know this seems dumb, but especially for someone who is like younger than us too, who right. grew or up being with online, the, who grew up with all this stuff. I imagine it feels... Like, I'm just a, a little too sensitive to things. But I imagine that if you grew up with it, that you feel sensitive about these kinds of things. And it does feel like a slight to not be followed. And maybe they didn't, maybe the, the high school friend didn't see that the caller has not followed them or unfollowed them or whatever. But I imagine the caller is racked with guilt because they are, they're like, well, now if I follow them, here, I'm going to make it real easy. Follow them and send them and be like, oh, my God, I accidentally unfollowed Sarah, you. Sarah, what do you think of this? So my fr- you got um, like my Internet was a little unstable for a moment, but I think I caught the total get gist and I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Andy, yeah, I think, yeah, if, if it comes up, you play it off. I don't think it's I also agree with you, Naomi, that not a big deal, <laughs> but it's clearly it's a big deal to her. Uh, she's in a mental prison. I, I wish her out. And it seems like there's a very clear pathway out to just follow her. And if it comes up, yeah, say she actually got unfollowed. There, there's uh, there's it should not be taking up a lot of mental space. And I am excited for your caller to find um, uh, something else that can uh, fill up her mental environment than, than perhaps that that concern. So you're saying you don't really think it's a big deal, but you're also saying play it off. Like do the follow, but then be like, oops, oh my God, girl. I think that sounds great. That seems like a pretty low pressure uh, solution. And more than anything, if she feels like she's in a mental prison, just get out of there, get, free herself. So, But Sarah, are you, you seem like a healthy person. I've said this many times. <laughs> throughout the course of this recording. <laughs> so it doesn't seem like you would be slighted by any of this stuff. It seems like you maybe don't even care. You're not very online. Like you obviously have accounts, but you're not like engaging primarily through that. I f- actually feel like the, the most engagement I do is like doing like laughing emotions at stuff that you post. <laughs> 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 like actually, 
Um, but yeah, I'm not very online. Um, I have once in a while I've noticed, like it was my friend's birthday the other day, um, on Instagram, he said something about like turn 40, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Oh, happy birthday. And then I noticed like the next day it said like, Oh, I'm not going to say his name, but followed me. And I was like, Oh, he wasn't following me. Um, but, <laughs> but at the same time, it like, wasn't a big deal. I was like, that's okay. Like, um, we're, we're friends. And so it's just like, it didn't cause me uh, to, to question the nature of my friendship with him. Um, yeah, I've, I've had friends who I thought that I was already being followed by follow me recently too. And I I don't think all that much of it, but also I'm, since I'm not that much of an online person, it doesn't have the same kind of like tenor that it perhaps does to some people who do live their life, um, with that kind of closer, type of connection yeah. Yeah. yeah this is like where maybe the three of us are a little too old too because you know no tw- i'm not again <laughs> well I, I remember getting in, in serious fights on message boards on oh, punk my. message boards in the early 2000s well, well, right but like you're you're attached but for instance right you are someone who will look and see who is following you i do not look at that like i will see that there's been a follow but i don't like now scroll to see who that follow is like, I don't know these people. It doesn't yeah. really matter to me. I also think if it also feels like because the apps, the algorithm and stuff, like, whereas, like, there are people who I follow, but I don't see their posts. Like, they don't pop up in my feed because of whatever the algorithm is doing. So it's like, I follow you, but you don't appear, so I'm not, quote, unquote, liking. But it's not because I don't like you. It's, like, because it's not there. If that, mm-hmm. You know, all, there's just so many things yeah. when it comes, you know, we were talking before the recording, you know, about um, technological Munchausen by proxy and how perhaps someone could be using, you know, their um, technology being like, well, I just don't know what happened to my Internet. Oh, God. Right. Where it's like, but there are ways you can just kind of be like, I didn't see that or I wasn't engaging with that or that's not what the app showed me. So sorry, I missed your wedding. Like, that's just, I don't know. I don't know. When I posted about our, our- <laughs> We haven't talked about this on the main thing, but our cat Prembly passed away a couple weeks ago. And I posted a couple memorial things. And a good friend of mine has not reached out yet. And I'm now questioning that friendship. So I think that there is, and I'm pretty sure that they saw that post and still hasn't reached out. And I'm like, are we good friends now? Or are we friends at all? Mm. Like, I'm questioning real life things based on this stuff. And I don't think it is, and I think again for people who are younger than us too, especially that when that has bec- when they grew up with this and the right. totality of their lives, that it is a, a thing that means maybe more, or maybe the same as for me, because it does mean something to me. Yeah. So I don't know. I I do think there, and they're also like, because I remember like there's also for us a professional kind of thing that goes along with it where i remember when i first when andy kindler followed me back like 10 years ago <laughs> right and i'm like oh that like. means something <laughs> that this comedian that i think is great followed me on twitter mm-hmm. like what if Werner herzog followed you sarah would you would you uh mm-hmm. plots as uh, as my people say, yeah, I, I've been in a similar situation where okay. like some of my like heroes like um, have followed me, and I like flipped out. I was so excited, um, and uh, then instantly was like, oh no, did uh, is there something that I've posted that they're gonna be like, oh no, she's that, you know? All of a sudden, I'm like exposed at the same time. But I, I've been like very excited by 
those types of moments. But I, I think what you said about Prem is, is like, that hits me deep because that's like, first of all, I'm, I'm just so sorry again for, for your loss. Um, that's a, Thank you. like a, a deeply tragic thing. And I feel like when you know that someone close to you has seen that and knows how hard that hits, like I do feel like it is incumbent upon them to, to pass along heartfelt condolences. So that for me, that that's like a big one and in a different category, especially because it takes vulnerability to share something like that. Um, so at the very least to, to see the, to see that it should be acknowledged. So I'm, I'm sorry that that's, uh, your friend didn't come through in that way, Thank you. but I um, feel like they should. So I wanted to say that as well. Thank you. Thank you for validating me. Oh, no, of course. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Well, Sarah Dosa, I think we've come to a close. We've solved the internet and all parasocial relationships. And we simply must thank you for taking the time. You are a dream, an angel, an auteur. Sarah, Sarah, you have touched our hearts. You have touched our eyes with your filmic work. You've touched our very, our very soul. Oh, God. Well, thank you for having me on your show. Uh, this was super fun. You gave me a lot of like deep thoughts that I'm going to continue to unpack. Um, and it's just a, a joy to, um, and an honor. So thank you all so much. And, and I hope to like hang out in person um, very soon too. But but yeah, this, this was lots of fun. Of course, of course. And we'll see you all next time. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.